Welcome to the Digging Deep ATVMX Podcast with your host, hailing from Kakana, Wisconsin, riding a CST Tires SSI decals traveling back Yamaha YFC 450R, four-time ATV Motocross National Champion, number 25. Cody Jensen. I did work for, uh, you know, Travis Spader, uh, the Jackson boy, Benny Jackson, and, and all of his friends, Joe Bird, John Natale, Dustin Wimmer, Pat Brown, Thomas Brown, um, the Jansen boy, Doug Gust. And I suppose that, you know, you, you have a relationship with some of these riders that kind of put you up on a wave and you go for a hell of a ride. What's up, everybody? We're back. Welcome to the latest edition of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast, episode 104 of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast, presented by our title sponsor, CST Tires, in stock and available for purchase today at shop.csttires.com. I'm your host, Cody Jansen, saying hello to our more than 199,000 monthly Digging Deep listeners in all 101 countries in which you are listening. And this is our highly anticipated episode featuring legendary engine builder, from TC Racing Engines, Mr. Tom Carlson. Tom Carlson is a four-stroke specialist who was part of many firsts in ATV racing. He built engines for nearly every legend that you can think of, and you'll soon find out that this man will never run out of stories. In this, an episode as highly anticipated as any in recent memory, you'll hear stories that have never been told before, all the DRZ hybrid talk that you could possibly want, plenty of three-wheeler talk, and more right here on the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast. Tom Carlson is the freaking man, so get ready. With that, as I don't want to slow us down anymore, let's quickly shout out all of our incredible partners. CST Tires, go to shop.csttires.com today. Yamaha, thanks to Blue Crew. Thank you, SSI Decals, DID Racing Chain, Namira Technologies, Bronco ATV and UTV Components, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply, the financial advice of the Haymar Financial Group, DP Brakes, Factory 43, Binky's Forever ATC Museum, a special shout out to Impact Solutions, and Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. On the last couple episodes, you heard the big news from Manscaped as they announced they are making the jump into the beard products game. And I still believe we are somewhat responsible for speaking this into existence. Introducing the Beard Hedger Pro Kit from Manscaped. The Beard Hedger Pro Kit is the ultimate beard care bundle. A premium beard sculpting machine, the Beard Hedger allows dudes like you and I to style our beards exactly to our liking with a zoom wheel featuring 20 different built-in lengths. Now you're speaking my language, Manscaped. Get 20% off with free shipping by using code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. So rad that Manscaped is continuing to invest in ATV Racing as a longtime partner of Digging Deep. Help us keep them in the fold and involved in ATV Racing by using our Digging Deep 20 code so they know you enjoy Digging Deep and what we're all about here. Support all the great companies that support us, and for any products that fall through the cracks, click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner on our website to help us out. The 2023 season is right around the corner. 
Corner. We are freaking stoked, but we both know you still need parts and gear. No matter what off-road gear parts you need, Rocky Mountain ATVMC has you covered. But before you buy, simply click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner on our website. By using our specific link, we get a percentage of what you buy on the back end, enabling you to help us out while purchasing the parts you need anyway. And did you know that you can buy OEM parts from Rocky Mountain ATVMC as well? Yep, ship conveniently right to your door. So click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner at diggingdeepatvmx.com to help us out while satisfying all your gear and parts needs. No new donors to shout out this week, but if you are interested in donating and hearing your name on our show, you can find the Patreon or Buy Me a Coffee donation links on our website. Major thanks to all who have donated, and if you can't donate but want to help us out, you can rate and leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify. That helps us a bunch. And a reminder, as you're listening to this one, grab your phone, head over to ATVFantasy.com, and sign up for the new season of Digging Deep ATV Fantasy. You know the drill, it's a one-time sign-up fee, you get your whole season pass, you get to compete against us, my Digging Deep crew, pro riders, industry insiders, your friends, and hundreds of others in ATV Fantasy. We'll award weekly and season-ending prizes, of course, so sign up today at ATVFantasy.com and start assembling your four-rider team for Daytona. That's ATVFantasy.com. And just a quick note here, Tom is going to reference some photos in this interview. Uh, We have those photos on our social media pages for you to check out as we speak. And I'm going to work on getting those added to YouTube as well. But now it's showtime. The 30-second board is up, it's sideways, and the gate is down. Time to dig deep. Let's go. All right, guys, we're back here for yet another episode of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast, and I can't believe I have this guest sitting in front of me here now. We are in season five of this podcast, 104 episodes in now. We have hundreds of hours worth of content to show for it, but I've wanted to get this guy on our show since the very beginning, and today it's finally happening. Brought to you by CSD Tires, whether on the moto track or in the woods, Joel Hattrick and Bryson Neal left no doubt that CST is the industry leader in sport ATV tires. Visit shop.csttires.com today to see their full line of products, where we suggest the Pulse MXR front and white label soft compound rear tires, of course, and with that, I I am so proud to welcome an ATV racing legend, a pioneer, and a man who truly played a major role in writing the history of the sport that we all know and love from TC Racing Engines. Say hello to the one and only Mr. Tom Carlson. Tom, uh, what an honor this is for me. Thank you so much for being here, buddy. This this means the world to me. Cody, what's happening? (laughs) Glad to be here. I am so grateful, Tom, to be sitting here with you in front of me. This is an absolute pleasure. It's hard to believe I'm the old man in the class. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no man no man this is this is so exciting uh to have this conversation but i'd be remiss if i didn't mention and, and thank uh your friend there marty antonbrook right from the top for helping make this happen he played a uh, played middleman um got y'all set up there and major thanks to him but uh what a what a blessing this is to have you in front of me here now so and i'll tell you how this all happened so i i posted a picture on our social media channel of doug and and the drz powered you know hybrid from back in the day and you know every time i post something about that tom you know we get all kinds of comments and all kinds of people sharing memories and and whatever and marty weighed in and said he knew you and kind of worked alongside you maybe now and stuff and i'm like okay this is my in because i've been wanting to get in touch with you for the longest time i've tried but you know it nothing ever worked and um so i'm like man i'm gonna i'm gonna just shoot my shot see if he can kind of play middleman and get me in front of tom and 
make this happen. And lo and behold, here we are. So, so what a, what a special thing. And, and like I said, thanks to, thanks to him. We'll talk to him a little later in the episode, but uh, this, it's just, I'm so grateful for this. Sounds good, Cody. So, uh, so Tom, so many of our listeners, um, are over the moon right now. We're, like I said to you before we hit record on this thing is we got so many people that are excited to hear from you. Uh, but for the younger listeners, uh, that, you know, maybe haven't, you know, aren't as well versed with the stuff from yesteryear before we go into your full story, I want to make sure everyone knows how big of a deal you are in the history of ATV racing. And for starters, you've built engines for riders like Travis Spader, Ben Jackson, Joe Bird, John Natale, Dustin Wimmer, Pat Brown, Thomas Brown, and the Jeremy list goes, Shell. Jeremy Shell, right? And the Jeremy list Shell. The list goes on, including that DRZ powered hybrid that we referenced that you guys built for, for digger, uh, Doug Gus back in the day. Um, so we'll dig into all that. Of course, we'll get into all the stuff that people want to hear from. And the fact that you're a four stroke guru, of course, as well, but I'm sure as you sit here today, Tom, much of your life has been spent, you know, in the ATV racing realm and that in itself has to be a blessing as you think of, of all the years kind of doing something that you love. Well, I started racing motorcycles when I was 16, 17 years old. I worked at a Honda shop as the only employee at 18 years old back when the motorcycle boom was, was there. We had Honda, you know, we had all the manufacturers, motorcycles everywhere. And uh, I was a local mechanic in court. I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to have any comebacks. And people were bringing motors in bushel baskets that I didn't even take apart. And sure. uh, so I took shop manuals and parts books. There was no microfishes. There was no computers. Everything was looking at books. Sure. Well, after surviving, uh, you know, after surviving that, uh, you became quite uh, confident that you could fix this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I spent all my money on racing parts for my bikes, uh, whether it be power roll or like I went road racing I was AMA district champion when 1975. Wow. Cause I was a racing nut <laughs> okay. I'd motocross on Friday night. I'd motocross on Saturday and Sunday. I might, I might do a hair scrambles. I might, I went road racing twice. I went road racing at Pocono speedway wow. going 165 mile per hour on a turbocharged Honda. I went to Montreal, uh, Mossport, Canada by Toronto. Okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm only 23 years old. Wow. So you've, you've done a little of everything, Tom. I spent all my money on racing cars, <laughs> trying to learn about what they're doing. And, and yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was mechanically inclined to put things together so I don't blow up, but that mm -hmm. was it. I had no real knowledge of, I did, I did, I did buy some cylinder heads for my 750 Honda that the, the pinnacle of uh, porting was done by a shop in California called Branch flow metrics okay and that's where everybody sent their head and they were a work of art absolutely gorgeous so i remember what they looked like so that i would try to yeah. do that you know to my own stuff when people could see it yeah mimic it yeah. Run, looks like a used head but when it's brand new it's it's pretty cool of course i tried to do that and uh so yeah then it went into uh, other things and you know, I went into road racing with uh, uh, Dale Singleton. Okay. Uh, Dale Singleton won Daytona two times, 1979, 1981. And they invited him to come to Montreal to the race up there. 
to uh, promote their race for the Victoria Day Sprints, which was at Mossport. Mm-hmm. So I went to spec. I went to watch, and after Daytona, Dale would go to Europe to win some money because he was better than those guys. He okay. wasn't really better than the Americans, but he could make money over there. Sure. He was. They didn't pay for him to bring his mechanics, so he had his high school friends working on the bike. They had the wheel on the garage floor, and they're changing tires. There's a 15-gallon tr- drum sitting right next to me. I says, guys, put that tire on the drum. So I grabbed the tire irons, and I changed that tire. Okay. Dale Singleton standing 10 feet away. I grabbed that wheel, and I put it back on this, this road race. It's a Formula One motorcycle. It's a, it's a Japanese road race bike. It's a four-cylinder Yamaha OW01, four electron carbs, four expansion chambers. Okay. And I wired the whole thing up. And then Dale in, Dale comes over and introduces himself to me. Wants to know who the hell I am. <laughs> I'm just nobody. I work on motorcycles at a at a Honda shop. <laughs> and uh, so the following year, he called me up. Well, actually, he had, uh, he had we talked that he would he would pay me to come to a race if if he needed help again. Okay. So the following year, um, I didn't get the call before Montreal before Mossport. But I did get a hold of on Monday after the race. And he says, I crashed. My bike is wrecked. He said, it's in a garage in New Hampshire. And uh, I need you to fly to Boston on Thursday night. The expansion chambers all got smashed. And uh, I need you to put, I've never worked on this damn thing. I don't know shit. Mm -hmm. So I worked all night putting it back together because we got to leave and go to to Montreal. We're going to race on the, Jacques Villeneuve circuit in the island of the St. Lawrence Seaway, which is still a NASCAR track today. Okay. And uh, he wanted the, the needles changed in electron carbs. I did that. And I'm responsible for this thing not blowing up. <laughs> right. So we end up, we win. We win that event. Okay. And and, uh, and then, of course, he paid me a couple weeks later. We went to Loudon or Laconia racetrack. Okay. Yep. And that was and then Dale retired. He went into going to the Bush the Bush Series. He wanted to race NASCAR. Cars, sure. So he got the Bush Series first, bought himself an airplane. And then in 83, he was the announcer on Motor World for the Daytona 200 motorcycle race with oh, wow. the Spain. Okay. Again in 84. And in the meantime, he's, he's racing for Bush. With his with his buddy and the two girlfriends, he crashed the plane and got killed. Oh wow! So that's okay. what happened to Dale Singleton. Okay, I really enjoyed that part of my life doing that. Sure, and and I would assume from kind of what you're saying is that opened up some doors for you, though. It did. It did. Uh, Put you on the map. So this this is Dale Singleton's bike. Can you see that? I can. Yep. That's Dale Singleton. That was in Loud, New Hampshire. Okay. In like uh, I don't know August of '82. Uh, so is that that must be is that an ad or is that an article that you're holding up there? Well, I made a catalog in 1987. Okay. And I and I briefly put that there. Nice. Okay, that's cool. I dug through the closet the other day and I thought, eh, maybe this will be good to take." So it, I, I yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you did. Well, it all started for you there. It's kind of like happenstance. So many of these stories happen that way, right? Where it's like you just kind of things happen and you're all of a sudden in a role and it's almost like you fake it till you make it, you know? Like you're a, a guy working on Hondas at a at a local dealership and all of a sudden you get kind of catapulted into this bigger role, right? 
So I was the local guy doing the tune-ups on your 750 Honda, putting carburetors and cams and yeah. maybe working on your motocross bike with an expansion chamber. And, you know, I was the, the performance guy in my area. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, so I continued racing motorcycles throughout my 20s. The three-wheelers came out and uh, a couple guys started having me do some engine work for the three-wheelers. And then they were on a 204-stroke yes. pro yes. class. And he says, I, I signed you up in the amateur class. You can ride my bike. So <laughs> I was already faster than he was because these guys don't know how to use the brakes. Okay. <laughs> what, helped, what helped me a lot to go faster was the road racing. Oh, sure. Yeah. Road racing teaches you where your, where your lines are mm-hmm. and where your braking points are. And that way you can run wide open for a lot longer and then hit the brakes. And, of course. But you got to be on the right line. Yes. Yeah, of course. So, so you had that line choice from the road racing thing. That makes so much sense. And, you know, you kind of mentioned it there. So, so obviously we all know, I mean, your biggest claim to fame or one of them is those air-cooled four strokes, right? The, the 200 and 250X, the 300EX, the, eventually right. the 400. So uh, did that, so that expertise in that kind of came from the very beginning when those those three-wheelers came out back in the 80s. Well, I started working at one of the, the nearby Honda shops in 1983. Okay. I was still racing motorcycles, and my a lot of local people were racing three-wheelers, so that's where that started. And being that I'm used to working on street bikes, okay. so you've got parts everywhere. Yeah. And now you're working on a little air-cooled 200X, which was so fun to work on a small little deal. Sure. And um, so I built a 84 200X for myself, and I built a 350X with two carburetors. Okay. And I really, I, I really never knew I had any pictures of it, but I found some. Okay. So I never knew what happened to it, but there's your dual carb 350X. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. I can. Yes, I can. So I went, uh, one of my customers named lance gellner which was one of the first big waves that i went on locally they traveled to all the grand national races sure they were going to go to boyd texas and then they were going to go to california to portadol okay so they took my bike i flew and in the open pro class where i was going to run my three-wheeler i led the race on the opening lap and i was killing these guys and three-fourths way around the track while I had the lead, you go into a left-hand sweeper, and I high-sided, and I have a picture. This is the picture just before my crash. Oh, that's my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That's, that is... and I, I, wad, I wadded up about 30 yards later. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I had it made. I was going to win. I had I, I was faster than them guys. Yeah. Yeah. So we go to Porterville, California, and it's like 85-mile-an-hour, half-mile car track with bank corners and sure. going like 85-mile-an-hour around a bank corner. Mm-hmm. Kind of sucked. Oh, yeah. That's that's hairy. You know, I, I, I won, but there wasn't, many, there wasn't many guys. Okay. Okay. So at what point – so at that time, you're still racing. Was the, the racing a priority or was the tuning a priority or was it kind of a, a, a perfect balance of the two? Well, I was paid – to be general manager and then to make extra money, I, I got paid 50, 50 commission for labor that I did 
in the evening. Okay. But the labor changed to racing. Like I got paid 50% for all the labor, porting ahead, you know, motor work. All the parts got sent, you know, all the money for the profit of the parts went to the shop. So the shop had big interest in what I was doing. Of course. Because, yeah. You know, and everybody got paid. It basically paid my way to go to the races and come out of my pocket. Yeah. It was great. All the customers could order their Honda parts from our shop, you know, and, you know, gaskets and whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was a big cohesive kind of uh, relationship. Sure. Uh, so that makes perfect sense. So then, you know, as I guess my next questions here, you know, cause I was thinking, you know, okay, so you're, you're racing these four, these four stroke machines. Uh, I was trying to figure out how you cut your teeth with these things. It all started with the, you know, the motorcycle motors that you were wrenching on at the local dealership, all those things. So then, you know, what, so then from the very beginning that made you a four stroke kind of kind of guy a four stroke expert because today you know obviously everything is four strokes with breaking this down for the younger listener i mean back then two or three decades ago four decades ago um you know that was the minority the the four stroke at least in the in the atv racing world or, or three wheelers and everything it was it was somewhat of a minority um but at that time it seemed like you still preferred them well, we had classes of two-stroke. We had classes of four-stroke. Mm -hmm. Of course, I was trying to be creative. You know, I made the dual spark plug head for the 200X with big valves, which was kind of a big ad that kind of put me on the map of, of, of people sent me work from all over the country for that. Of course. For that uh, head. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so then I, you know, I built myself a 200X. And I started racing at Pine Lake with everybody. and and. Uh, the first race was 1984. I went there with my 200X. Okay. And I went there in 85 when the factories came. 1985 was the year that Team Honda came. A lot of us could ride three-wheelers good. Okay. Not just one or two of us, a lot of us. We could slide really good. And when Honda came, Stevie Wright and couple of those riders would go down the straightaway at Pine Lake wide open. While it was wide open, they'd pitch that thing sideways. Okay. How the hell are they doing that? Because it was incredible to watch it done. They could blow by somebody on the outside as soon as someone chopped the throttle, and they'd go flying by. So when I came there in 1986, I had my heart set, and I'm going to figure out how they did that. And your brain won't let you do it. Okay. It's kind of like, like when you're going to hit a double jump, you don't hit that jump wide open without chopping the throttle and then powering back on. Mm -hmm. Your brain won't let you do it. Of course. Well, wide open on one of those long straightaways, pitching it into the corner. So, I mean, yes. I, I I took and I I tried like hell. I I couldn't do it. But then I got pissed and I finally figured out how to do it. Okay. So that maneuver that I did in 1986 okay. allowed me to win for like 12 years straight at Pine Lake. Oh my God. I would be like, you're the only person doing a double jump at a motocross track and you're kicking everybody's butt because you're doing it. Mm -hmm. You think that they would be trying to learn how to do that so they can beat Cody. Cody's mm -hmm. been kicking our ass. Right. They never did. <laughs> That's and amazing. Course, the class was 200 class for four or five years. Mm -hmm. And then they can, they put everything together, 250Rs, 350Xs. Sure. And uh, it didn't matter. 
if I'd be in fourth place on the beginning of the second lap, they'd all chop the trial and I'd go flying by. Wow. That's amazing. Pretty wild that just that one maneuver, it wasn't that I was magic. The little 200X, you could dominate that bike on the infield. You could fly. Sure. Yep. It was nimble. Straight away hurt it, but when they chopped the trial, their history. Yeah, that's, that is amazing. I, you know, I mean, you, we all know, like, uh, as a younger person, I'm 30, right? So, uh, as a, you know, I, I just remember TC as the engine builder guy, not necessarily the racer guy, but I knew that this was part of the story. So I was so excited to hear kind of this chapter of it, um, before we get into the, you know, to the, the more engine building stuff. So, because, so as I studied up for this interview, um, you know, I, I thought about the four wheeler stuff and kind of that transition and Honda coming in and all that stuff. And the, one of the things I learned was that you were involved in the first ever four stroke, uh, win at an open event, right. And that would have been on a four wheeler. Tim Weaver, Tim Weaver was racing two stroke here and, okay. um, good friend of mine. He was very good. He raced two fifty pro class. Okay. Um, and we decided to put our money together and build a four stroke in 1988, brand new bike. 350x uh i think it was 475 cc's okay the thing was a a a torque monster i'm sure and uh <laughs> so we went to pine lake and gary denton the factories were still there gary denton mm-hmm. there was three suzuki riders gary putnam and jeff watts okay along with don turk uh, yeah don turk on a factory yamaha Gary had the fastest bike, 79 mile per hour on his 500 Suzuki and a 250R frame. Okay. And and we were hitting like 74. And Tim would say, it doesn't matter. He said, I'm two seconds of faster a lap than he is. Okay. Because the thing was like, Bruh. yeah, it just, and, um, you know, and I, you know, I, I, I have two dynamometers. Mm-hmm. I haven't used them in 30 years. Okay. I never used a dyno <laughs> on that bike either. Because it was Seat of the pants. Could, it was all you could ride. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that was, that was the first four-stroke to ever win an open pro event was 10. What did you say that engine was, Tom? A 350X. It was, you know, okay. even close to 500 cc's. <laughs> okay. And, okay. and uh, I built a couple, you know, other motors in that range. I built one for Mac Moore. I built one for some of his friends, got bought and sold. And of course today, I mean, you know what, you know what horsepower and torque 450 Hondas make, mm-hmm. you know, 35, 36 foot pounds of torque somewhere. And I used to do a lot of work for Dave from East coast, ATV. Mm-hmm. Yep. And of course he dynoed a 525 CC 350 X that I built for somebody Okay. A kid named Homaker owned it and took it to Dave. Dave calls me up. He says, uh, I got to tell you something. He says, I dynoed this bike. He says it made 52 horsepower. He said, but what was unusable? It made 65 foot pounds of torque. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I have no proof of that, but that's what Dave said. It made 65 foot pounds of torque. Uh, how could anybody ride that thing? So, you know, did Tim Weaver's bike make 65 foot pounds of torque? It could have, cause it was, it was nasty. Hey, it made a lot, no matter what the number is, it made a lot. 
you know, it probably made in the high, the high fifties. Yeah. 60 pounds of torque. That is unreal. I can't even imagine riding something like that. So there you go. That's crazy. Well, as the, as the years clicked by Tom, so TC racing engines becomes more and more prominent, obviously it becomes more of a prominent name in ATP racing as you go here. And at the top of the show here, I mentioned all the legendary names as we kind of become more modern, right. As you, you come to the more modern years, uh, that you worked with. And so, you know, one of the, one of the names that it started with, it seemed like at least in the ATV motocross kind of realm or the GNC era was the Spader family, right. And the eventual, you know, we know him as the 2000 GNC pro champion. Travis was the first spectacular rider that I, I got to work for his dad, Ed Spader. We had a blast. Okay. Ed worked, Ed worked his butt off for that kid. He traveled from New Jersey to my shop on a Friday night. We work all weekend. He'd go back home on Sunday. Okay. Of course, Travis was 12 years old. Okay. Of course, Travis won the 200 CC championship and then went on to win many others. And yeah, Travis was really, really fun to work with. That would be my first major mm -hmm. rider. Okay. And uh, it was a great, you know, I worked for Travis for like 12 years. Okay. That's a long time. So, uh, Travis wanted to go to college. So Ed was bringing his money closer to home and not spending so much money. And mm -hmm. Izzy Burgard from Burgard Cycle mm -hmm. kind of sponsored Travis for a couple of years. And then I think that was 96 and 97. And then I, I think that was kind of the end of me and Travis. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, so I went down that list right at the top of the show. So Travis Spader, you just touched on there, Ben Jackson, Joe Bird, uh, John Natale, Dustin Wimmer, Jeremy Shell, you mentioned Pat Brown, Thomas Brown. Um, I'd love to hear like what you remember from working with those guys, you know, any stories you have or whatever. So you touched on Spader a little bit. Uh, what about Ben Jackson? Tell me a little bit about him working with him. Benny was a good kid. His dad was Sam Jackson and, uh, yeah, Benny was really good. And, uh, this all evolved, uh, in like 1999, 2000, 2001, Okay. And, you know, Benny got to be in the pro class and, and he won Mount Morris one year. Okay. 99 or 2000. He won. Okay. So uh, yeah, he was successful too. Yes. Jeremy Shaw was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, 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 and he's one of the, he's one of the guys when I think of TC, you know, that he's very much linked with TC. I don't know why, you know, the engine builders that I battled with obviously were Curtis. Curtis Sparks was my, mm -hmm. my rival. I always thought Curtis was better than me. So okay. I just made me work harder. And, uh, you know, we had a conversation when they had the, uh, the legends in 2000 and yep. Curtis would come to me and we, we talked for a couple hours and he says, Tom, he says, you made me work my ass off. I says, no, Curtis, you made me work my ass off. Right. <laughs> you, were the best, you were the best rider. Yeah. Which he was. Travis mm -hmm. was uh, Curtis was great. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. And and I think that's the ultimate respect, right? So you know, today we have we have other great engine builders. We have Dan Lamy from DASA. Mm -hmm. We have D Manchak down in Texas at Rage. We got Mark Ball in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And it really it really wouldn't be until the two thousand five or later years before those guys would become you know, in the pro class with some significance. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, you know, they're going to replace us. They're going to be, I'm 
I'm 70. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, but but it's one of those things, Tom. I tell people all the time, you we never feel as old as we actually are. We're always a kid no. at heart. No. We're always a kid at heart. Well, TC's not going anywhere. And um, so what about what about Joe Bird? What do you remember about working with him? Um, well, Joe Bird was Doug Gus's friend. Yes, he was. And Joe Bird was trying to basically uh, pick up any additional assistance <laughs> okay. that he could, you know, get off of Doug, let's say. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, you know, Joe's okay. Okay. What about, uh, what about Dustin Wimmer? Dustin's a good kid. Dustin mm-hmm. was a good kid. He was a lot of fun to work for. He really, he, he raced out of East coast ATV. So what would you have worked on for Dustin? Would it been on the four fifties or was it always on the, the smaller stuff with him? I worked on Dustin's 450 Honda. That, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah that's what I thought. Honda. And what about uh, John Natale? That would have been a, a little bit uh, earlier era, right? Working with him. Well, I did work for John Natale through East. Dave from East Coast sponsored John Natale, mm-hmm. so yeah. I supplied him with pouring and pipes. We'll get into the pipes a little bit, a little bit as we go here too, because we got a lot of a lot of questions about some of those iconic Super Trap pipes, Tom. <laughs> but uh, okay, Pat Brown. Pat Brown. Pat was, uh, Pat, I think Pat was from New Jersey. I think his dad yep. was a sheriff and I, Pat might be a sheriff now. He is. Yep. He is. Yeah. Pat was a good kid. He rode out of East coast, uh, out of a uh, lost Creek cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And, and one of those guys that, uh, we've had all of these guys on the show, right. But Pat's one of those guys that stands out as such a, a, a really nice kid. And what a really yes. nice guy. Um, we come across so many great people in this sport. I feel like obviously you have a laundry list of, of great people that you've worked with over the years. So what, uh, Thomas Brown, we're getting a little, getting a little, uh, uh, later era now. What about Thomas Brown? I think Kevin Muma put that together for me and him. Okay. You know, Pat, or, yeah. Thomas Brown was from Texas. Yep. Really good young rider. And I think Kevin put him on a Yamaha that I built. So everything was basically motivated by Kevin. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know Thomas Brown. Got uh, it. But we, we did, we did become friends because I probably did his work for three or four years. Mm-hmm. Yep. Got it. Yep. Um, got it. So you did an interview. So where I got that from, so you did an interview with ATV scene, uh, back at the, the 50th at Astabula, and I was watching it, you know, kind of getting ready for this interview. And, um, you recounted a very similar list when you were asked about people that you'd worked with. So, so you recited, you, you know, Spader, the Jackson boy, bird, Natalie, Wimmer, Pat Brown, Thomas Brown, and then you paused and then you said my name. And you said, you said the Jansen boy and Tom, I, I, my name probably doesn't belong, you know, amongst those, those <laughs> other legendary names in the sport there. Right. But uh, what a special thing that was for me, you know, a special moment, you know, to have my name be notable enough for you to mention. Uh, you have no idea. It brought a true tear to my eye. I'm not kidding when I say that, uh, that I was notable enough to come to mind in that moment. So man, that was, that was amazing, but that's where that list came from. Well, that, that, that year that I did work for you, yeah, you guys were running the WPSA races. Mm-hmm. Yep, 2007. And I was doing uh, a, a four-stroke in the two. You guys running 300 or 250s. 300. 300. Yep. So I was doing work for uh, Wyatt Gann. Okay. Uh, that won the TT. TT. Yeah. I did work for. 
Cole, the Medlin kid. Cole Medlin. He, he yeah. won the AMA. You won the WPSA. Yep. And the other kid ran the the the, the flat track, and and I and I did all three of them. Yeah, I know you did. Yeah, you had the you had the clean sweep there. And actually, I'm gonna post some pictures like you were showing me some stuff, some ads and whatever that you have upstairs. I have a box of about a hundred ATV racing extras with uh, with your ad in it, with me in that ad, and that was so Is special. That, so dad uh, bought dad bought a case of them, right? But uh, go ahead and and say what you were gonna say there. In 1995, I built all top ten four strokes in the 250 class. Four stroke, 250 pro am, all top 10. Okay. Which is kind of hard to do and keep everybody happy. <laughs> yeah. It really is. And of course, I, I, uh, and that worked out good because I, I, I told them what they could do. And it was always based on money or the kids' expertise. Mm-hmm. You know, the kids' expertise or their suspension. It was never my, I didn't want anything to be my fault. Mm-hmm. Yep. Pretty hard to keep 10 bikes with no break with no dnfs well well and keep everybody happy like you said because you know so so i was so proud to have that tc sticker on the side of my my 300x motor uh like you said i won that title in 2007 but that year so jeffrey rastrelli and i battled so hard and we still chat about it to this day from time to time and the cool part was is we both ran your stuff so so basically, like in my mind, you know, it was same machine from top to bottom. We had the same suspension. We had the same shocks with the same everything. And it was like, okay, you know, let the best rider win kind of thing. And like I said, I was so damn proud uh, to be a TC rider. You were so good to me. Those are some of the, the best memories that my family and I have. I have you to thank in part for that. But but what I was going to say is I think, you know, between our two families, we always got along with Jeffrey and the Rastrellis. We, you know, that was always such a great deal, but always it was always like, man, I I sure hope they don't have like a little bit extra that we don't have, you know? So like you said, it was, it was a, a balancing act. I'm sure like to keep everybody happy. Cause there's always that doubt. Like, you know, does he have, does he have a little bit more than me kind of thing? Well, you, you, you always try to find more. You always right. do. You know? Yeah. And, and I think so that year too, um, Neil McGrath had your stuff. I mean, there was, there was multiple guys in there that were all TC. I mean, you had to have a TC motor. Like that's, that's what you had to have. So, uh, so that's funny. And there was a lot of years there. There was a lot of years. I remember the McGrath kids. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of years, like I said, where, I mean, to, to be competitive on one of those machines, you had to have a TC racing engines motor. So, so, uh, so that's, that's fun memories to think back on. We'll get right back to the show, but now a word from our sponsors. And thank you for listening to these ads. Without these great companies, none of this would be possible. Show your support for the people who support us. We used to speak of a CST takeover, but now 2022 is the year of CST supremacy. CST's Pulse MXR tires are the choice of Joel Hetrick, Jeffrey Rastrelli, and Nick Janusa, meaning CST tire riders are in contention for pro-class wins and a possible podium sweep every time they hit the racetrack. CST tires are also the official tire choice of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast, but you already knew that. I, your host Cody Jansen, helped pioneer the CST takeover with Pulse MXR fronts and white label soft compound rears on my way to back-to-back national championships and a pro sport podium to cap off the 2021 season. The Pulse MXR tire, available in soft and standard compounds, offer the highest level of traction, most predictable cornering, and superior wear characteristics when compared to the competition. Did I mention they offer contingency payouts as well? Visit shop.cstires to join the CST takeover today or prepare to be beat by someone who did. Joel Hattrick, Jeffrey 
Andrew Rastrelli, Nick Janusa, myself, and so many more believe and trust in CSD Tires. Do you? You already know we're Team Blue Crew now more than ever here at the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast. And whether it's eight-time and reigning ATVMX Pro Class National Champion Chad Weenan, who with his next championship will become the winningest champion in ATV motocross history, or seven-time and current XC1 Pro ATV GNCC National Champion Walker Fowler, who is now tied for second all-time in titles won, it's clear the podium-proven Yamaha YFZ450R is the winning choice of sport ATVs. This continued and unprecedented success for the Yamaha YFZ450R, its unrivaled quality and performance, and the undisputable fact that Yamaha is the leading OEM supporter of ATV racing has resulted in an ever-growing Yamaha takeover within the sport quad market. Best yet, Yamaha's Blue Crew Racer Support Program is back and stronger than ever here in 2022, meaning Yamaha riders will once again cash in on payouts and prize opportunities, including a chance to win a brand new YFZ450R. For more info, head over to YamahaBlueCrew.com, follow them at Yamaha Outdoors on social media, and check out Yamaha's full proven off-road lineup at YamahaOutdoors.com today. SSI Decals is a name synonymous with ATV racing, synonymous with big-time success, and absolutely synonymous with the best-looking decals around. An offshoot of their parent company that was established in 1947, SSI first took shape from owner Ian Harris's passion for ATVs. With what started as just making numbers and decals for riders like Chad Weenan, the company quickly took off, and today you couldn't imagine ATV motocross without SSI decals. The graphics maker and designer now supports all the top teams in ATV motocross, as well as teams and riders racing GNCC, Work Series, Pro Motocross and Supercross, Canadian Pro Motocross, Short Course Off-Road Trucks, UTVs, Snowcross, and oh yeah, six-time world champion top fuel drag racer Clay Milligan. No project is too big or too small for SSI decals, making your identity stick with championship level graphics. Head over to SSIDecals.com today and then maybe call the doctor because things are about to get sick. The Digging Deep ATVMX podcast is brought to you in part by DID and their wide range of championship winning chains. From the street to the track and everywhere in between, DID chains are designed to give you the optimal riding experience with great performance and increased chain life. Consistent to the core, pick up your box of reliability today. DID, what drives you? We are proud to be partnered with Numira Technologies. Since 2001, Numira has led the charge in the ATV and side-by-side market covering more applications than anyone else in the industry. Numira's advanced piston technology uses a NASA-exclusive aluminum alloy that helps to reduce expansion rates, allows for tighter tolerances, and leads to higher overall engine performance for your machine. For more information about Numira's wide offerings of pistons, rings, gaskets, industry-leading top-end repair kits, and recently added connecting rods, visit your local dealer or online at www.numira.com. Namira Technologies, your one-stop shop engine component supplier. We are pleased to be partnered with Bronco ATV and UTV components. Bronco has been an industry leader in replacement hard parts and accessories for all makes and models for over 15 years. With a catalog that includes a full line of electrical components, engine internals and cylinders, shock and suspension parts, winches, clutch kits, valves, carb kits, bearing kits, and drive chain parts, Bronco is your hard part source for whatever you need for whatever you ride. Available exclusively through distributors around the world, visit your local dealer or online at broncoatv.com. So one of the names that that we haven't really mentioned yet is is most likely the most notable of them all, uh, Doug Gust. Uh, Doug this, Gust. This is the moment the, and topic that so many of our listeners want want to hear and and have been waiting for. But that that DRZ uh tom isn't necessarily where it started for you and doug right well let's 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 begin on how i got hooked up with doug gust please yeah 
Doug Gust had been writing for next Darren Nakarado. Mm-hmm. Darren Nakarado had what bone cancer. So, and of course, Doug Gust wrote for next for three, four years. And, and of course, Darren died in 1998. Okay. So Doug was left without a sponsor or engine guy or whatever. So Wayne Henson calls me up at the shop one day. And of course, one of my previous racing friends was John Lawson, which John took his kid racing, but he he had just quit. So Wayne's talking to me on the phone that, hey, why don't you put together a program for Doug Gust? And I said, I don't, I don't have the means to do that. Now, Travis Spader's motor, Travis Spader's engines belong to me. So I had the I had no bike. And uh, so Henson's saying that I have a complete chassis, I have a complete frame. And he says, You've got the motors. And I said, Well, I don't have no way to haul them. So John Lawson says, well, we'll use my trailer and I, it'll be, it'll be a great deal to work for Doug Gust. Okay. We both agreed that, that it would be fun. So, and then, uh, Hinson says, call Mark Lager and see if he'll build another bike. The TT bike belonged to Nax. Okay. Nax still had the TT bike that Doug raced. So we had the TT bike. We needed another practice bike for motocross. So Mark Lager and Doug Gus talked. He would build another frame, and Doug could get to keep it if he won the championship. So all the rest of the stuff, axles, shocks, bearing carriers, brakes, you know, shock linkage, and, all, and mm-hmm. I had to I had to buy all that stuff. Okay. You know, a lot of the stuff was given to us, like the shocks and maybe an axle. Mm-hmm. We got sponsored by a lot of stuff, tires and wheels. We got, of sponsored. course, of course. Yep. And, and, uh, so, I, uh, you know, I had no claim to fame of a two stroke guy. I mean, yeah, we're, we're, we're just like Kurtz. We're four stroke guys. Mm-hmm. We can apply our thought process to two strokes and make them at least good. And mm-hmm. over time we can make them a lot better. Sure. Yep. So I had done some two strokes already. They ran good. So I made sure these bikes ran good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we had the points lead right away with Doug Gust. Okay. And uh, I paid Doug's entry fee and, and, and maybe his hotel bill. And, and that was it. Um, and of course we, we won. And, uh, and we went, uh, we went TT and Doug was, Doug was like a top five flat tracker mm-hmm. and top two motocrosser. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so you had, you had other guys that were maybe top two, like Shane hit, maybe Tim Farr were top two in flat track. And, you know, Shane and Tim in the beginning were like top 10 mm-hmm. yep. motocrossers. Yep. They needed to pick that up. And of course, Timmy worked hard to pick that up and try to be in the top five in motocross. Mm-hmm. Of course, that made him competitive. Yeah. But we went to Orville. Or- Orville. John yeah. Pellin and Joe Davis put together a big race. Yep. yep. And, and Jeremy Shell, Jeremy Shell led the race. Okay. And then it had some type of uh, linkage or something why I was leading. Okay. And uh, Tim Farr was in second or Tim Farr took over. We were like third. And then Tim made a mistake in a corner and went off the track into the mud and we won. Okay. 
that was like a five thousand dollar or eight thousand dollar purse. Oh wow! So we, we won, you know, the TT on the flat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, we were probably, otherwise we were like top five most of the time. Right, and that wasn't that wasn't Doug's claim to fame. We asked him on the show here. He's like, yeah, I just didn't really like those TTs that much. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Um, but yeah, that's that's exactly what I was gonna ask you. What Tom was that the D that the DRZ wasn't where it started for you. That the relationship started actually with you building him a two-stroke and um and, and that, so that was ninety-nine. So he won that title in ninety nine. Well, the, 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 the unique thing that I did in nineteen ninety-nine is I maintained the appearance of the bikes in memory of Darren Nakarado. Oh yeah. Completely. It wasn't Team TC Doug Gust, it was Dax Racing. Sure. I did that. Who who else would do that? You're not gonna you're not gonna have uh, anybody else. Yeah. Not prioritize their shop and put an, mm-hmm. a competitor's name on that bike. Of course. Yeah. Of course. I didn't know that part of the story. Yep. That's true. Yeah. So then, uh, you know, Jim Nakarada was really thankful, and uh, so he, you know, he became wanting to be more part of our program, which we let him do that in mm-hmm. 2000. But he, he 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 actually was trying to take over the program as well. So okay. it'll be me and John and, and Doug. Okay. Okay. So then that's, at what point that's, that's, that's another, another that's another story. So yeah. then at what point did you decide to make the four stroke move? Because that was two thousand one, well, right? You know, you had Doug Henry already do it on a motorcycle. Yes. We had Joe Bird and Tim Farr and I think Corey Ellis already tried it. Mm-hmm. 1999 Tim Farr ran the Yamaha I believe it Red Bud against us where he thought that maybe that might make a difference but they gave up on it okay so I thought an electric start bike would be the ticket so that's why I went with the Suzuki because it was electric start mm-hmm. so I built the DRZ and um and of course uh I bought a brand new motorcycle to take the motor out. And then uh, Mike Walsh built the chassis. I had to pay for that, but he built it right away. He built it like in a week. Okay. Oh, I wow. The motor down and, uh, and then of course the motor was dry sump, like a 400 yeah. Yes. It had an oil tank. And so we go to Etchikani first, the first race of 2001, we bring both bikes. Doug practiced on the two-stroke, and then he practiced on the four-stroke and never got off of it. <laughs> he liked it that much. We should race this thing because if there's a, there, we could have a problem. Mm-hmm. We win the first moto. Hands down, we won the first moto. And then the second moto, while we were winning, the return line to the oil tank got hot and it burst and started spraying oil on the motor. So we shut it down. And... Uh, that was that. Yeah. So we what? went to London, Kentucky, the first time that a four stroke won the 250 pro class. Okay. It was at London. Okay. So then. Amazing. So then Hinson puts me in charge. Hinson makes the connection to have me talk to Pat, Pat Alexander, race team manager for Suzuki mm-hmm. to keep getting parts. Okay. So I'd call Pat to get gaskets and pistons. He sent me a complete motor. And the the electric start stuff, Doug didn't want it anymore. 
I can start that bike. So we took all the electric start. We tried to make the bike lighter. Sure. Took it. We changed over to kickstart only. Okay. And then we, we, we did have, you know, it was, the sport was still grand national. We had motocross and we had TT. Yep. Yeah. We, we changed it over to TT. Now the bike weighs like 330 pounds. Okay. You better hang on to your life. That bike was fast. Yeah. We go down to a racetrack in Georgia that was run by Donnie Banks. Okay. And, of course, we won. We won okay. motocross with it, and we won TT with it. Okay. Shane hit, chased us, and we were we were constantly 50 feet to 100 feet ahead of him the whole race. Okay. He could, he could gain maybe a bike length at the end of the straightaway by holding it wide open a little bit longer, but it didn't make a difference. The bike was so fast coming out of the corners that he – we kept this. We stayed out front, fifty sure. to seventy-five feet. Okay. Whole race, and we would have won the championship more times with that bike. But when we go to our motocross events, which were our strong events, mm-hmm. which we're going there to win. Yeah, of course. Yes. Doug got prepared to win, and you reach in that bucket and you pull out your clothespin number eighteen, and it's raining out. <laughs> <laughs> and of course you 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 go through the first corner in 18th place you can't pass by the end of the the moto you're you're seventh mm-hmm. you win the second moto and you come home with a third fourth or fifth in an event that you should have won mm-hmm. yeah and uh that happened two or three times so okay. we end up with like a number two for the year mm-hmm. yep. number one. yeah well and and i've had that <laughs> had that happen so many times so many listeners have had to have that happen so many times right uh where you pull that that you know big number pin nowadays if they qualified you know if they qualified oh, that would have, back that then would have, we would have dominated yeah Jeez. that would have dominated we would have never had uh we would have had you know top one two finish in all the motocrosses yeah oh my gosh you know doug was an animal like i did work for harold goodman too okay 1994 harold i did harold's four-stroke work and it's two-stroke work. Okay. Everything was done in the mail. Harold won every heat race and every main event on his two-stroke. In four-stroke, he finished second in, in Pro-Am four-stroke. Tom Miller beat him. Okay. Tom Miller. Yep. Which I did Tom's work. Okay. Oh, that's crazy. Later, later on, Tom Miller would advertise that, you know, you know, he was trying to do some more. <laughs> Or work of the 1995 or whatever 1994 four stroke champion mm, he didn't funny. say he built the motor he just said <laughs> it's the home <laughs> oh my gosh that's funny uh so what i was gonna say is i didn't know that there was any suzuki affiliation or help coming from suzuki during that drz era but there was a little there was a little affiliation. we got, we got parts okay when we went to that racetrack in georgia where we went when we won yes we had a, a Japanese guy came looking for us that stayed with us um, because apparently the LTZ was already in production. So okay. they wanted to come see this bike. Okay. You know, and so that would have been, you know, April, May of 2001. Got it. Okay. And okay. The LTZ came out in like, November of 2002 yes. as a 2003. Yes. 
Yes, yes, yes. So, so the, and the other thing that I didn't know necessarily was the reason you chose the DRZ was because it was electric start. Right. Okay. And, and so when you've switched over to it being kickstart, I mean, being such a big motor, that was never a problem. He could, he no. could start it. No problem. Really? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Doug, Doug wanted it off. He I'm, I can start that bike. It was never a problem. Uh, well, like you said, he's an animal. So take me through that build process at the beginning. Like I know some other guys were dabbling in it. Like you said, uh, Doug Henry had done it on the dirt bike side, but as you're creating that thing, and I know that Doug, when you got to that first race, he had a choice, but as you were building that thing, was there ever any thoughts that maybe this was a mistake or it wouldn't work or anything like that? Because it was a radical move. Like nobody had perfected this four stroke thing until you and Doug did. Well, you know, we had a big fight with Roger Ansel at AMA, okay. trying to allow the four-stroke to be used. Sure. I tried to tell him, you know, you, you're doing it with motorcycles. Why don't you let us do it? And uh, well, he said, what size should it be? I said, well, let it be the same size that you, you – I think originally the motorcycles could be 500 cc's, and then they switched it back to 450. You're exactly right, yeah. And for whatever reason, he said, "If well, if we we allow this, we're going to have to make the three hundred, the three fifty class. We're going to have to make it bigger." I said, "Why do you got to change another class? Because we want to run the pro class. No, we're going to have to make the three fifty four stroke class. We're going to have to make it four hundred. So you guys will be allowed to be eighty over four hundred. Hmm. So that was the choice to make it eighty over, but." At the same time, about a month later, they came out with that, what was it, Can-Am 440? Exactly, yep. So it all evolved together. So the four-stroke class went from it went from 250, which I was, again, making it. I said, make it 251 open. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, they made that 400, and now they made it 440. Right. So, yeah, our, our motor was 440. Got it. Okay. Okay. And it stayed 440. It's never been 450. Got it. Okay. Well, that's uh that's crazy. And that led, I mean, with Doug, and you mentioned this already, but that led to more first because you know, you played a role in another uh first for the four stroke with Doug becoming, you know, obviously, like you said, the first to win a 250 pro event on a four stroke. And he basically, quote unquote, you know, broke that record on both the TT and the moto side, like you said, which is kind of cool. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of cool. Yeah, the bike, the the, the you know, the, the bike really ripped. Mm -hmm. I mean, was it, uh, did I ever dyno that bike? No, never did. <laughs> never did. Even, even that exhaust pipe that you and your dad bought for me one time, mm -hmm. I built that by the seat of my pants. I mm -hmm. did not, and of course, you guys dynoed it. It was like that and the Dasa were your best pipes. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, but that's how I always thought of you, Tom, is you didn't need a dyno. Like you, you did it all by the seat of your pants and you just knew. Well, you know, I ran a dyno a lot for many years. Uh, a dyno just as a way of testing mm -hmm. to yep. find out where the power is of a pipe or whatever. And, and this is a true story of, okay. of why I quit relying on the dyno. Okay. I was doing a 200 blaster for one of my customers that was going to run Grand National uh, all the way out to California. So mm -hmm. I built him this really cool blaster, and the only pipes that came out was a DG. And they live in Pennsylvania, not too far from Dynaport, which is Rich Daly's shop. Mm -hmm. 
So Rich Daly was glad to build a pipe for, you know, they have another bike. They brought it up to the shop and they built a pipe. And Rich and I personally know each other. And I got this motor done. I got both pipes and I dynoed both of them. With a DG pipe on, I could hold it wide open at like three grand, four grand, five, six, seven, eight, and maybe 8,500. It just, it, it just was linear. Okay. And then I put the, uh, the, the DG pipe on it. I couldn't run it wide open at three and four grand, you know, about 4,500. It would take off and it didn't seem to have a broad power delivery. Um, so I, I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. So I talked to Rich Daly and I said that I says, I think the DG pipe is better because the dyno is better. Do me a favor. Go ride that bike. Okay. So I did. I, I went and rode the, the DG. The bike ran good. Just a progressive power band. The more throttle, the harder it pulls. Um, and then I rode with the D, the D, the, the Dynaport. Mm-hmm. Friggin' ripped your arms off. It would easily, in a hundred yard, in a hundred foot dash, it, it would win two bike lengths in a in a hundred feet. Oh wow! Okay. So that was it. Everything so, was going to be by the seat of the pants from there on. Yeah. Make that sucker haul ass. Well, the dyno doesn't tell at all. Like you said, it's it's a numbers thing, but it doesn't necessarily tell you how it's going to feel. Well, everybody loves them numbers. They always they only worry about the number up on the top, top, top. Uh huh. Yeah, you're exactly. They worry right. about the horsepower on the bottom. Yeah, yeah, you're 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 very I keep, right. I keep telling these guys with 450s, the one that makes 40 horsepower first is the one that's going to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. And you know, we've talked to you know Joel and some of these guys, and I know he's a littler guy, but he's kind of a perfect example of he was telling his guys to make the thing slower. You know that he could ride it faster if the thing wasn't quite as fast. And in the motocross era, it doesn't need to rip your arms off fast necessarily. <laughs> You'll have a lot faster exit of the corner if you can control it. Yeah, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. You know, the one other thing I want to talk about with this with this DRZ hybrid that's so special to me, and you said that maybe the Z400 was already, you know, kind of a, a thought about thing, but I have to believe that, you know, your hybrid was, uh, you know, it played a role in, you know, the years of incredible success that followed for Doug as he became a Suzuki factory rider. I don't know exactly how you understand it, but you know, when Doug joined the show, he told us that the DRZ definitely opened the door for him with Suzuki. And, you know, like I said, I mean, I got to believe that that Z 400 had to be at least loosely based off of the, off of the hybrid that you built because it was such a simple machine. You know, the the DRZ had already been around for a few years. Mm -hmm. So they just made it more of an ATV type of motor, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, didn't have a kickstart at first. Right. Yeah. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I think that that's a, that's a cool thing to think back on that because you think of, you know, all the success that Suzuki went on to have, I mean, all the success that Doug had on the Z 400 and, you know, he wins the title in 2006, uh, you know, when the new quad comes out, when the LTR comes out and then they grab Jeremiah Jones and later on they have Chad Weenan and, uh, they both won a bunch of races for Suzuki and Dustin Wimmer wins back-to-back titles in 2008 and nine and Josh Creamer wins the title for Suzuki, um, as, as they literally are 
closing the doors on the Suzuki ATV racing program. I mean, it's got to be cool for you. I mean, that's such an iconic time in ATV racing. And I know that there's a little bit more to the story here that we can get into, but that do does have to be somewhat of a special thought to you as you kind of think back on that, to think that you were kind of part of kickstarting that whole Suzuki era of ATV racing. It's an era that ATV racing fans will forever hold on the top of, you know, the pedestal, that Suzuki era. Well, you know, it, it was a great time. Uh, hooking up with Doug would be, you know, other than Travis and Jeremy Shell and Ben Jackson. And early on, you know, Tim Weaver and, and Lance Gellner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Doug would be the pinnacle of my racing career. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was, uh, uh, you know, I'm the one that bought the Suzuki. I'm the one that paid for the Walsh chassis and all that. And yeah. uh, our, in 2003, you know, Doug brought Yoshimura on board. Okay. Uh, I wasn't real happy about that, but we, we brought Yoshimura. So I, I flew to California. The bike went out there. So the team in, the team in 2003 was Yosh. Well, actually, it was all Suzuki and me. Mm -hmm. But Yosh was included. Obviously, Wayne Henson was included, and uh, and uh, and of course, when when there's a factory program coming in, a lot of people are jealous. They want to get their hands on that. Of course, uh, we, me and me and you know John Lawson were having knowledge that you know we're we're going to try to be attacked here and all that and, and uh, try to be pushed out so um i go hunting so anyway that was the team pat alexander brent russell at yosh wayne henson and me okay i go to i go to alaska after we win the championship against timmy Farr, and i i come back home and wayne henson calls me October, 1st of October, and says that, well, there's going to be a factory team. Doug's going to be the rider. John Lawson's going to be the driver. And unfortunately, he says, you're kind of a conflict of interest with Yosh. So you're not going to be part of the team. And I was like, well, I knew that could be a problem, but I hoped it would all work out. Mm -hmm. So that was what I was told. So that was a story that I explained during October, November, and December. So let's go back to the people that were involved. Pat Alexander, Brent, Wayne, and myself. Mm -hmm. And of course, Wayne calls me and tells me the story of, of what the problem is. So John Lawson goes to California to go pick up the new trailer and truck with Pat Alexander between Christmas and New Year's. And Pat Alexander wanted to know why I wanted to quit. What? Pat Alexander wanted to know why I quit. John Lawson says, Tom didn't quit. He was not allowed to be part of the team. So there's some funny business going on. You understand what I just said? Yes, I do. So I call Wayne up. I'm a little bit upset here. Of course. And Wayne says, you told me you wanted to quit. And I said, Wayne, why are you fibbing about this? And I said, you know, so, you know, bottom line is they created a narrative. Mm -hmm. I mean, Brant Russell probably wanted to have it be solely Yosh. 
to get me out of the picture. The real problem was Wayne and I were pals. Yeah. Wayne and I were pals. Yeah. And he, he, he went along with that narrative, a false narrative, which he'll still promote that today. Okay. So we're not the best friends that we once were. Got it. That was my only opportunity that I started the Suzuki thing, which prospered into a national thing with Doug Gust and Suzuki. Yeah. And then these guys removed me. Yeah. Well, that would be a hot button topic. So this, this was, um, uh, I wasn't sure I was going to tell that topic today, but I thought it would be a perfect time to do it. Uh, yeah. I So and I, so I thought, Tom, I thought that there was more to the story, and that's why I said that. Um, I knew that you were a part of it at the beginning. And it, then... was a, it was a narrative that apparently these guys wanted to make more money or okay. control or whatever. Okay. It, it never should have happened because they could have kept everybody on board. Mm-hmm. They could have done whatever. I don't care if Yosh could have controlled the program. I had no desire to be race team manager. I just wanted to be doing my thing and and yeah. allowing my expertise to be used. Exactly. Yeah. Period. Yeah. So, and uh, uh, you know, it's, it was so unfortunate because Wayne's been to my house, sure. and obviously everybody he knows, he would have told the story that I quit. Yeah, that is a shame. Which that was not true. That yeah. was a narrative that was. Yeah. I don't want to pick on Wayne anymore. Wayne and I were friends and, and I, I can still bury the hatchet, but I still got it. Yeah. No, that, that, that is a shame. Like I, like I, uh, like I was sitting here thinking, I mean, I think of you two kind of in the same light, you know, so that, that it's a shame that it went down that way, but, um, kind of moving on from that time, we don't got to beat that dead horse anymore. Um, nope. we're good. so, 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 uh, you've done a ton of work, you know, over the years, a lot of work in the years that followed that kind of Suzuki thing. Um, I think of Kale Downen, uh, my buddy, Graham Gardner, who religiously yeah. ran your stuff for years and years. I love Graham. So tons of, you've obviously done hundreds of people's work since then, but I built uh, that, I built that dual carb 250X for Travis. Oh yes. Yes. The dual carb 250X for Travis Spader with a six speed transmission. So that's amazing. That was, so that was built out of a 350X. Everybody tried to do that, but they couldn't figure out how to do it. Got it. Okay. So we asked some people to send in some questions and I was going to get to those here shortly. And, uh, some of those were, um, about exactly that. So, uh, Pharaoh brothers wrote in asking about the, the dual plug 250 X motor. And then, uh, we had some more questions tracks performance, wanted to hear more about the 250 X days, specifically talking about taking out the reverse gear and making a sixth gear. I didn't know anything about that, but that's amazing. I didn't know anything about that you, you used the whole 350x transmission it was already six speed the problem was the, the the transmission shafts don't fit and the shift drum is about an inch too long okay so i had them i had to machine all that stuff i had to make special bearings but uh, i took i took notes that i could still do it again Sure. Oh my gosh. That's, that's amazing. So, uh, so what I was going to ask you, you know, you've built all this stuff, you've done all this stuff over the years. Uh, I was going to ask you, do you still find time to do a little engine building between your hunting trips? Well, I still work for a living. I I try to be constructive and prosperous. Uh, You know, I'm in the twilight of my career, so I don't, I don't work overnight as many times as I used to. (laughs) That's fair. That's good. When John Lawson, 
John Lostman was a UPS driver. Okay. He retired, and we still had two and a half years' work to do. And, and so he'd come down a week early, and he'd take the motors out of two bikes, and I would rebuild them while I'm working on other stuff. And uh, and then I, I'd give them to him. He'd put them back in. And on Thursday morning, I'd go ride and make sure that they were perfect. And I don't think we had – Friday practice so we didn't have to show up until Saturday okay so I would work all day Friday we'd leave about 10 o'clock at night I'd fall asleep in the car while he drove all night <laughs> so yeah you were you were burning so the midnight was, he oil was, he was only 57 years old when he died oh wow 57 Jeez. oh that's unreal that's way too young I'm, I'm 70 <laughs> yeah well uh well, yeah, you you got a lot of more years left in you, Tom. You got a lot of more motors to work on, a lot of more a lot of more riders to help. Um, so I was going to ask you. So speaking of hunting trips, we haven't got into hunting at all. We got a lot of hunting questions as well as we went here. So I swore there was a story, and maybe this could have came from my dad years ago. I don't remember, um, but possibly about a Kodiak bear that you snagged. Was it possibly a record? Is me saying that is is there any correctness, or is that just a myth? No, it's true. Uh, uh... When I was young, going to grade school, one of the company presidents in our town went to Kodiak Island and he brought a bear hide to school in the movie to grade school. I'm like in fifth grade. Okay. So that probably planted the seed for me to want to go. But, you know, in the 1970s, it was like $2,000. Sure. And a lot of money. Then by 1980, it was $8,000. And then by, you know, 2001, it was like $15,000. And, you know, it just keeps going up and up. And so in 2006, I decided to go. I I booked the hunt two years and it was, uh, you know, $18,000. And I already knew that this isn't going to be like shooting a deer where you got 15 deer hanging in your garage wall. Right. you're, 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 uh, I don't, I don't want to get one. I'll right. go home empty handed and I'll just keep hunting. So mm-hmm. yep. 2008, uh, I went to Kodiak, the hunt on the, I went to the Alaska peninsula the first time going towards Russia on that. Sure. Great hunt. I hunted okay. 18 days, never shot my gun. I saw 42 bear. I did see one big one Okay. and luck just didn't go right that day mm-hmm. to be able to chase them. Okay. On Kodiak, I booked that hunt. That hunt was going to be like $24,000, which is now, today it's like $38,000. Jeez. And yeah, I I killed a Boone and Crockett. Boone and Crockett. It's, it's, uh, you know, when you get something that's, you get, you get an award when you get one that's pretty decent. Mm -hmm. It's called the award book. Okay. a bigger one you run what's called the all-time record book and and it's a permanent book okay Uh, there might be 125 bear over 100 years that are on there that are made it's it's the it's the length of the skull and the width okay not the size of the bear sure it's just just like horns sure yep and Boone and crockett is 28 inches length and width added together okay does not include the lower jaw, which has maybe this. Okay. Take the lower jaw off. It's just the skull. And, you know, mine was 28 and a quarter. World's record is 20, 30 and 12 sixteenths. 
Okay. There's 28 to make the all-time book. So yeah, your dad's got a true story there. Yeah. Oh, that's that's amazing. We we had to get a, at least a little hunting talk in, Tom, because I know that that's a big it's a big part of uh, part of your life too, just like the ATV racing stuff is. Well, you know, I grew up with a mom and a dad, which is kind of not normal today. A lot of yeah. people were broken homes and yeah, and, you're right. Uh, we played baseball, chased girls, mm-hmm. and went hunting and fishing all the time. Yeah. And we just carried it on, you know, you know, I, I went hunting in the fall with my mm-hmm. friends. And then we, we eventually started going to Colorado. Okay. One of my high school friends moved out there. Okay. And then in 1997, we thought, let's go to, let's go to Alaska. So we, everything was unguided. Sure. It was cheap to go. Mm-hmm. So the only, the only guided hunt that I did was the brown bear. Got so it. That was like, that's uh that's amazing. You're living the dream, Tom. Yeah, I play with you know, I'm a gun nut. I play with guns a lot. Yeah. Of course I'm a I'm a performance nut with making as much horsepower out of my third three oh eight or thirty odd six or whatever magnum it might yep. be. Yep, yep, that's very fitting. Yep, that's very Try fitting. To make it go. We interrupt this program for a special news bullet. The following message is brought to you by manscaped.com. The Manscaped engineering team has outdone themselves this time, creating the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, now available for purchase in the U.S. and Canada. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, an official sponsor of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast, with this exclusive offer of 20% off and free worldwide shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0, and I am blown away. This thing is next level. What sets this trimmer apart from all the rest? The Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. It features a new multi-functioning on-off switch with travel lock for those of us who like to travel. And my favorite, the new trimmer allows you to customize your trim with four different guard lengths and upgrade from its predecessor that only featured two. If you're listening, you know that good tools are a must, so wait no more to get the best tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using code DIGGINGDEEP20. Hey everyone, this is Larry Mills, president of DP Breaks North America and proud partner of the Digging Deep ATV MX podcast. We at DP Brakes are a longtime supporter of ATV racing and the world leader in centered brake technology, dominating the ATV world for decades by supporting the best four-wheel racers on the planet. This year's lineup includes Jeff Restrelli, Mark Baldwin and Baldwin Motorsports, Ford Brothers Racing, Nick Janusa, and many more, including Mr. Digging Deep himself, Cody Jansen, plus all the top 17 GNCC pros such as seven-time champion Walker Fowler, Bryson Neal, Hunter Hart, Cole Richardson, and Jared McClure, Adam McGill, and previous champion Chris Borch. These top riders continue to appreciate the high performance and impressive durability that their DP brakes have to offer, products that ultimately help place them on top of the podium week after week. DP brakes are available through www.dp-brakes.com or you can purchase them through your local parts and limited stocking dealer. Or you can even message us, myself, Larry Mills, or DP Brakes on Instagram or Facebook. And if you have any questions about product or sponsorship support, please ask us. We are waiting for you. Join the best ATV riders in the world equipped with DP Brakes. And have a great year, everyone. Nearing two decades into the brand's existence, Factory 43 is back and better than ever, continuing to make major waves in the ATV world. For the third consecutive season, Factory 43 is the official 
official aluminum parts choice of the Phoenix Racing ATV team, providing their state-of-the-art Evo Nerf bars, MX-style front bumpers, and grab bars for two-time champ Joel Hetrick. If you're in the market to upgrade your Nerf bars, bumpers, or grab bars, head over to Factory43ATV.com to see their full line of industry-leading products available for all makes and models. Head over to Factory43ATV.com today. Success in the ATV MX world is similar to what creates financial success as well. The right people, the right advice, and more importantly, hard work and the benefit of an ongoing relationship as situations change and adversity is experienced. Do you have the right financial advisor to help you reach your goals? Haymower Financial Group can create a personalized, goal-based plan to help your family prepare for whatever life brings. Call me, Scott Haymower, at Haymower Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services at 920-338-8150. That's 920-338-8150. Offices located in beautiful De Pere, Wisconsin, with registrations and clients nationwide. Just like the sport of ATV motocross as a whole, our Digging Deep community is brought together by the love for racing that we all share. Our sport is compiled of many great people, and leading that charge is the Launderville family at Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply. This racing-owned family business is a steel and concrete supplier serving the entire United States. Launderville Steel is a full-service steel supplier of new and surplus steel, aluminum, and stainless steel products headlined by the 4130 chromoly tubing and plate used in the building of chassis for ATVs and UTVs, off-road truck racing, late model dirt and pro tractor pulling series, drag racing, and more. Launderville Steel loves their racing just as much as we do, but don't forget about their concrete division as well. With over 25 years of experience, the Concrete Division can supply everything you need to complete your next business or personal project. Their central Midwest location enables LSE to easily serve customers across the United States. For a quote, additional info, answers to more of your questions, or to talk a little racing, head over to LaundervilleSteel.com or give them a call today. We are proud to be partnered with yet another racer-owned company. Thank you, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply. Here at Digging Deep, we have an obvious passion for ATVs and pridefully enjoy sharing the sport's history. Since 2019, when the podcast was born, we've been working to partner with individuals who share our passion, but one man and his vision had been missing from our partnership group until now. When it comes to the sport's history, the hallowed grounds of Binky's Forever ATC Museum has it all. Binky Tapscott's mind-blowing collection of three- and four-wheelers has preserved history by spanning all makes and models from Honda three-wheelers in chronological order to unique builds that shaped ATV racing as we know it, like Doug Gust's iconic DRZ-powered hybrid thumper and everything in between. There's no denying Binky's passion, a passion that we certainly relate to here at Digging Deep. Binky's goal is to share his amazing collection with fellow enthusiasts by making his prized possessions accessible to the public via scheduled visits. Follow Forever ATC Museum on Facebook and watch foreveratc.com for further updates on possibly getting a chance to see Binky's Forever ATC Museum for yourself. We are proud to welcome Binky's Forever ATC Museum to the Digging Deep family. Thanks for listening and remember to support our partners. Now back to the show. Well, uh, I referenced some of uh, some of the array of questions that we got from our listeners. I'm just going to sprinkle in a couple of them here. There's a lot that we already got to as uh, the kind of the story unfolded. Um, but Kevin Taylor wrote in and wrote to us uh, for some funny conversation. Ask TC about ElectroClean being sprayed where it doesn't need to be sprayed. <laughs> well, you know, over the years, you know, we'd have all different kinds of contact cleaner and brake clean and 
Yeah. You see someone's crack of their ass, and we just spray it down the crack of their ass. <laughs> oh uh, some, some of it really burns. Oh my god. The electric sure. clean really burns. <laughs> oh. you'll, be, you'll be looking for the you'll be looking for the garden hose. Oh my gosh, that's funny. I didn't know that that's where that was going. That's funny stuff. Yeah, painful. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, okay, so Sean Ridgeway asked us, he said, ask Tom about how he used to back his, how he used to back his 86 250X into turn one at Pine Lake uh, before the turn even started. That's the move that you talked about. Yes. Yeah, yes. That's, that's amazing. I go, I, you know, when I go to Pine Lake, I go watch the three-wheeler, Sean yeah. Ridgeway, and yeah. I tell him, I said, you guys are a bunch of pussies. Because <laughs> I, I show him pictures of how it's done. Yeah, that is hilarious. You guys run like a bunch of pussies. Uh, I love that. Um, Adam Campbell, he asked uh, asked you to estimate how many 250X and 350X motors you've worked on in your life. Uh, a lot. <laughs> I was going to say, a how lot. can you even guess? Um, <laughs> I used to do two 200X heads a day. Okay. Jeez. Back wow. to 200X. I do two a day. And of course, I made them good. You're only talking two two ports, mm-hmm. and you can get to both ports. Yeah, and I I made them look like a work of art, and I would do two a day. Wow, oh, that's amazing. Two fifty axes, a lot more work. Three fifty axes were a serious amount of work for a three fifty x. Okay, you know okay. the ports are like this little things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Like uh, like your pinky finger. But, yeah. but still, um, yeah, I've done a lot of 450 stuff. A lot of 450 yeah. yeah, I can't imagine. I can't imagine you could even come up with a number, Tom. It's way too big. You know, and you know, everybody's doing the CNC porting today, mm-hmm. which some of them are very nicely done, mm-hmm. um, but they all cut the guide off. Okay, they all, they all remove the guide, and and uh, which uh, you you can obtain pretty good peak flow by doing that it's hard to maintain peak flow and leave the guide you're going to have to work pretty hard to streamline that guide mm-hmm. but if you leave the guide in it it'll have more flow at the lower lifts like 100 150 200 thousandths lift it'll have okay. more flow okay well got it so do you look at the the cnc stuff like it's a little cookie cutter or how do you how do you view the cnc stuff well, the CNCs are all done with, you know, mm-hmm. with a computer yeah. program. Right. That, you know, they've, you know, obviously they've copied heads that have been ported by previous mm-hmm. people. And, and, yep. uh, and of course, with a 450, you got to be pretty careful. You'll, you'll, you'll accidentally find where the water jacket is, cut a hole in the head. Okay. And then the head's basically ruined. Got it. Okay. Basically I've heard. Ruined. Yeah, I've heard horror stories like that. You, you can't you can't see it. You don't know where it is until you cut a hole through it. Got it. It was one of those things. The reason why I asked is because I've always thought, you know, obviously, like you said, there's tons of awesome videos and a lot of, you know, nice CNC stuff out there, um, but you just don't get that last personal touch. That's why I thought, you know, to me, I've always kind of thought of it as a little bit of a cookie cutter deal. That's all. Well, you, you know, I, I suppose you can do a CNC ported head and, you know, I don't know what it takes, maybe an hour. If you do it by hand and do a, a, a spectacular job, you're going to have 15 hours. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 15 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's just a little bit of apples to oranges there, I guess. Um, but yeah, like I said, I had a whole page worth of questions here and we hammered out most of them as, as you were telling your story. So uh, let's wrap up with this. I'll give you two questions of my own. Maybe you got something for them. Maybe you don't. Uh, the first one being, what is your best Doug Gus story that you might've not told yet? Do you have one? <laughs> oh, I'm sure there's one, but I, let me think here. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, Nothing. you should have told me that before I could have talked about it. <laughs> well, let me uh, let me let me ask the other question first, and then then you can maybe come up with something to think as you go. Uh, my other question was your favorite ATV racing memory in totality. Do you have one that stands out there? Oh boy, oh boy, um, it's hard to take forty years of racing and try to come up with one magic moment in in five minutes. I understand. <laughs> no, I understand. That's a booby. That's a booby trap. I I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Doug Gust, uh, man, oh man, oh man. Uh, you know, I still have, I was going to bring it today too. I still have two full champagne bottles of winning the 1999 title. Okay. Another win and something else. I'm, I'm waiting for me and Doug to drink that champagne. Oh, wow. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I had somebody write in that saw Doug at the supercross race last night in Tampa. And yeah, said, I, I talked to him yesterday. He said it was going to go really. Okay. I talked talk to him yesterday. He said that his wife, Tina bought him a ticket to go to the supercross. Oh my goodness. That's awesome. Yeah. This person was saying that they were celebrating, um, that they were celebrating this conversation with you looking forward to hearing it here on our show, uh, by, by talking yeah, to Doug us, about it yesterday. Yeah, I did. Yeah. That's yeah, amazing. That's awesome. Well, um, Tom, this is, this has been amazing. Uh, this has been so much fun. I can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, before we sign off, let's, let's get Marty in here. Uh, Hi, Marty, get your ass over here. <laughs> talk a little bit. So, so yeah. Marty, Marty Antonbrook joins us now. And, uh, Marty, so, so at the top, I said, you know, that this couldn't have happened without you. So I, I can't thank you enough. You played middleman here. Uh, you helped make this happen. You facilitated it for me, which I appreciate so much, but, uh, you actually, you know, there's, there's some of the story here that, you know, you kind of play a role in because you're actually still running some of these TC tuned DRZ hybrids to this day. Your son's the rider. Tom's working on the engines. You're doing some of the chassis stuff. So tell me about that a little bit. Uh, so a couple of years ago, a buddy of mine, uh, his son, he was in the race and his name's Alan Darlington. Um, we were talking, we're friends and I bought a piece of junk KFX 400. I mean, it was a basket case Okay. and we were able to turn it into something my boy could run on XC racing. Okay. So you fast forward a couple of years, uh, my boy's maybe 12 years old. And, uh, I go to Alan, I said, man, I want to build my son a flat track quad. I said, I found a grenaded LTZ 400, uh, and I, I, I need an engine builder. And Alan goes, well, you got to call Tom. He's like two hours away. He lives up in the mountains in PA. He goes, you can hardly <laughs> find his place. He goes, you got to go see Tom. He's been running, doing them forever. I said, okay. So we ended up with the bike behind us. That was, we ran the first year, uh, we ran a Z400 motor. Tom did all the work to it. And for a Z400, it was way more than I would say, would you think it was more motor than what Doug had even back then? Yeah, well, ours was just for, you know. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it could have been. So... Now, he tells me about running the DRZ in a 250R chassis. I said, well, Tom, I said, I'm a welder fabricator by trade. I can make that DRZ motor go in the Z400 chassis. Sure. And they were like, well, you might sure. have to 
you know, him and some other people told me, you, know, you might have to build some tabs to go into the swing arm to hold the motor further forward. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I said, I'm going to put, I want that right in the, I want that swing arm bolt in that motor. Right. So yeah. I figured out what I had to do to make that happen with that bike. Um, my buddy, Al, he did the swing arm, uh, took a factory Honda swing arm, 05, shortened it up to the measurement uh, for my boy and his weight. And, okay. you know, talking with Tom and Al, yeah. just, we got it perfect. And, uh being the chassis set for my son i can't ride the thing i can't hold the front end down on the thing you get a guy pounds on you can lay on the front of that hood and it still won't hold the front end down so this quad here is somewhere 300 pound range and i don't know as far as horsepower i mean like tom always says anybody can make 60 horse at 11,000 rpm but Mm -hmm. you know we went for a really torquey motor and uh, that's what we got. And so that's how I met Tom. And when I seen that online, I said, well, I know he don't have a cell phone, a computer or nothing. To mess with, so I said, let me help this guy out and, you know, get him in touch. Yeah. I brought my wife's cell phone come here today. Oh <laughs> my gosh. That's amazing. Well, like I said, I mean, what a, what an awesome thing, what an awesome story. And, and so tell me, so tell me like, is it competitive? You know, it's obviously competitive against today's modern stuff. So tell me about that a little bit. So, I mean, I don't see any reason. I mean, I think we're making 450 horsepower all day out of that thing. And yeah, it's just different riders all it is now. Yeah. I mean, it, that bike, if you put a pro rider on that bike versus another pro rider on a Honda or Yamaha, mm-hmm. they're going to ride with each other. Really? All wow. you'd have to do if, if you, if a pro rider contacts me today and said, I want to ride that thing at Pine Lake, I'd swap the swing arm for him and he can get on it and run with some of the best. Wow. And that, I mean, there's, Horsepower has been the same for what, 20 years? Yeah. You know, I I built my nephew, Michael Maselli, mm-hmm. an LTR. So I want to build like Doug Gus bike. Okay. So, <laughs> and of course, the first couple of years, it had the fuel injection. So then we put a carburetor on it. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it's runs great. If it didn't weigh 430 pounds, it would it would it'd be an animal. It mm-hmm. still is, but if it weighed four hundred, if it weighed three hundred thirty pounds, it'd be it'd be unstoppable. All, all you could ride. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And I can't imagine the reactions that you that you guys probably get from people. You know, I mean, the thing is gorgeous. Uh, we'll we'll post some pictures. I can't imagine the reactions you get because you know it it kind of speaks to the iconic nature of you know, of the, the DRZ LTR hybrid type thing, uh, that it's stood the test of time. Yeah. You know, when we were, when we were talking about Lance Gellner. Yes. And this is an article where Lance hole shotted Curtis three times in a row before it made the one that counted. Okay. Cause everybody kept tipping over. Right. Yeah. Of course, Curtis tipped over. And, and so it was Lance, um, Mac Moore and Curtis. Okay. So what he didn't tell you about our new build is the the titanium exhaust. Oh wow! The can, the Yosh can, and everything is the original stuff that they use. That's, that's, that's Doug Gus. That's Doug Gus pipe. Yeah. Is it and really? Actually, wow. Yeah, that's that's the Doug Gus pipe, and then that's we uh, had we had a couple spares, so I got to keep all the spares when, <laughs> and then um, wow. Kicker Walsh made that kicker that's right there. He yep. gave me that. Um, I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think if there's anything funny I want to tell you about Doug, but okay, probably not enough. 
time I can think about it. Man, that is cool to see that that piece of work behind you is amazing. To see the accents from you know the original stuff, the factory stuff is amazing. Well, you know, um, so anyway, in, at the end of 2002, Suzuki gave me a brand new LTZ, just like they were going to you know sponsor Doug with one to be sent to Yoshimura. Of course, and I kept it. I was just going to ride it. So probably around December of 2000, you know, uh, December of 2002, I get a call from Doug. Doug says, I need that bike. Says, I need to have a practice bike built. And uh, he says, there isn't any more of them. They, they're sold out. All right. I guess I'll send it to you. And uh, so I sent it to him. Well, he never, he never built that for him. He sent the motor to Yosh. And he gave the bike to Cindy, his girlfriend. You remember Cindy? I do. I remember her well. Yes. He gave the bike to Cindy. Now, there's a little bit of a mystery here with the LTZ. Um, and, of course, so Yoshimura built it. One of the problems, this is, this is a good history for people that are listening. Mm -hmm. The LTZ and the DRZ are the same bike, but the tensioner is different. Okay. Interchangeable, but they're different. The the LTZ, the range of the tensioner is about three quarters of an inch of range. Okay. The LTZ had about half of that. And they used up half of that with a brand new chain. Okay. So it only had about one eighth of an inch of movement, mm -hmm. which means that the chain's only gonna last about two months. Okay. I saw that right away back in the first engines I did in 2003. Okay. I welded a bung on the end of the tensioner of about a quarter of an inch, maybe more. So that when with a new chain, the tensioner had 100% of the range left. It would work for two or three years. So we go to Mount Morris. Now, Cindy was racing with other people, not with our team. Right. And Doug comes up to me and says, hey, he says, Cindy's bike is making a weird noise. <laughs> so I already knew what it was. Of course, yeah. So I take the tensioner out and put my tensioner in it, and I, I save Yoshimura's ass. Okay. That motor would have blown up in another week. Mm -hmm. So that now you got got to go to the end of the year when, when, when John Lawson is out at Yoshimura picking up the new – truck and trailer mm -hmm. and Brant Russell being the little shithead that he is, is trying to make me appear worse to John Lawson that that motor had got sent back at the end of the year. Doug sent it back to Yost to be freshened up for 2004. Sure. And uh, so Brant Russell had this tensor that I made for their motor on his bench, bad mouthing it that, What's TC? Too lazy to put a cam chain in it? Well, I just saved this company a couple thousand dollars. Yeah. And he's bitching at me for something he should have known to do. They would have had DRZ tensioners everywhere. Yeah. I wanted a bung on it, and he's bad-mouthing me for saving his life. Hmm. What a shame. Yeah, what a shame. Is that a good story? It is. That's a, that's so, a good story. Yeah, that's another true story that... Uh, I was mad that he's bad mouth to me for saving this company a couple oh. thousand bucks. Oh, for sure. I mean, like we said, with the whole Suzuki thing, you kind of got cut out of it and that's a shame. It didn't have to go down that way. 
And of course, you know, I would have all kinds of people calling me what I'm using for a cam chain because they can't keep a cam chain in their LTZs. Of course. Yes. Including, including Tom Miller, he would call me up. I said, <laughs> I'm just using stock. I, <laughs> mouth shut, you know, <laughs> of course, that's your secret. Guys didn't pick this up. Yeah, that's your secret. Oh, that's funny. Well, I mean, you guys, I, I can't I can't thank you enough for this. So there was a time a few years ago that, you know, I didn't think that this was ever going to happen. Like I said, that this was at the top of my list. Um, but I thought that this wasn't going to happen. You know, Tom, you had a really scary incident there that sent you to the hospital for oh. a while. And <laughs> man, I was I was scared to death that this was never going to happen. Tell me a little bit about that before we get out of here. All right. Well, you're talking about Binky Tapscott. Binky Tapscott took his kids racing and then his kid got hurt at home, got a concussion and yep. the doctor told, you know, a kid can't go racing anymore. So everything kind of stopped. And so Binky got in his head. He wanted to have a, a collection of three and four wheelers. So he, he's letting Jody Bateman at JB refurbish all these bikes and 200 X and they're cool as shit. Mm -hmm. So I get a call from Binky. He says, Tom, I'm going to come see a, so he brings me a 350X motor, and he says, Tom, I want you to build this motor for me like American Honda is going to go racing again, and I don't care what it costs. Okay. I have never had that kind of comment. I don't care what it costs. Right. And he says, I want my motor gold like you did for Travis Spader one time. And uh, Binky's the best, by the way. He's the coolest guy. Oh, yes. So anyway... He takes the chassis out to, to Jody at JB. His instructions would have been the same as mine. I don't want this thing to be 1985. I want this thing to be 2018, mm -hmm. 2019, with the best of everything. Mm -hmm. Yep. And of course, I got to build an exhaust system for this thing that looks like American Honda. Right. How am I going to do that? So I spent like $2,000 in material to build this pipe. Okay. I get it all done. And of course, uh, I got the motor done. Binky picked it up, took it out to Jody's, and then they put it in up there, brought it back to me to build the pipe. Okay. So now we're talking uh, June of 2018. Yep. And the bike's all done. I mean, this thing is gorgeous. You don't dare touch it. Okay. Obviously, the carburetor that's on it, air tube, and all that. I haven't started because I gotta, I gotta get it started and set the idle mixture and all that. And so Brad Fiesler, one of my customers, comes down, drops off his kids, four stroke, and and he he's noticing the bike. He says, I, I I knew that was here. Did you did, did you fire it up yet? And I says, No, it's ready to run, but I haven't. Well, I'm not doing nothing the rest of the day, so I'll help you. You want me to kick it? I says, go ahead. So he kicked it like 10, 12 times. I says, stop. Can't scratch the spike. Well, I got a tow strap in the truck. I says, well, go get it. We'll, we'll pull it with my lawnmower. Oh, boy. So I remember all of this. We put the tow strap on it, tie it to the front forks, hook it to my lawnmower. And that's about as far as I remember. According okay. to Brad, he says, the bike started right up. I'm on the three-wheeler. And of course, I always go riding with no helmet because I want to listen to what's going on. Okay. And I and I, I and I and and Brad's taking it off of the lawnmower. I said, just just roll it up. I'll sit on it. So I sit on it, and I go down the road. Mm -hmm. I, I don't come back. 
And Brad comes looking for me. He sees me laying in the road dead with a big river of blood coming out of my head. And, and of course, he thinks I'm dead. Yeah. There's no cell phone service. I'm only I'm only a mile away. Sure. And he comes back home, calls my wife, tells her something really bad's happened to Tom. Call the you know call the nine one one and UPS is out front and traveling down the road. So while Brad's waiting for my wife, he asked the driver to go down and keep a check on me so someone doesn't run me over. Sure. And then my wife goes the wrong way. So Brad comes back down. He sees me trying to get up. I'm I'm a bloody mess. Sure. I can't hardly walk. And they they load me up in Brad's pickup truck, load the three-wheeler up, and come back to the shop. My wife is there. And and then, they, of course, they call the paramedics, and they, they life-star me to Erie. They put me on life support for, I don't know, four or five days. Yeah. And then they yeah. sent me to Pittsburgh. So, and then, of course, no one told. I said, "What did I crash on?" He said, "We crashed on an ATV. You had a you had a stroke and you crashed." I says, "I didn't have no friggin' stroke," and uh, like I don't remember nothing. Mm-hmm. So they and then Brad finally says, "Oh, you crashed on Binky's 350X." I'm like, "You gotta be kidding!" Oh no, that special bike. Yeah. Now something hit me in the head, ripped all the flesh off my head. I had 16 staples putting this chunk of meat back on. Oh boy! And in the center of it, something busted my skull—a circular fracture—and of course, I had a peace sign in the middle of that circle where it wants to buckle my skull. Sure. Yep. Luckily for me, that was probably the leak that saved me from getting, you know, my brain pressured up. Und- understand? Yeah. Yep. So then I broke seven ribs. Four were broken off the top and bottom of your rib cage completely. Okay. Jeez. Having said that, my my road is tar and chip. I had no road rush on my hands, my knees, nothing. And of course, my wife said I broke my collarbone also. And I'm moving my shoulder up and down. Well, obviously, I didn't know which which collar I broke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I go home and I run to the garage and I look at the three-wheeler. The three-wheeler is perfect. It's not torn. And then I, I look at the handlebars and I see the toe strap over the handlebars going down to the left foot peg and, and it's hooked. And I look at it, I pull it out. I've only got like one third of the toe strap. So I already knew what happened. Yeah. Looking up at the handlebars, your front brake cover, a little, mm-hmm. yep. it looked like the three where it went like that, it come down upside down and it landed right there. Okay. It foobarred that cover. Mm-hmm. That cover is what hit me in the head, ripped my skull open. Oh, my goodness. The thumb throttle was down underneath the handlebar. And it hit hit the gas tank twice. And, of course, you would first think the thing landed on my head. Well, that's not possible because it would have drove my face into the pavement. Right. Yep. So, apparently, when, when, the, when the, I'm probably going 60, 70 mile per hour. And when that toe strap got caught in the chain sprockets, it would have pitched that thing sideways and catapulted up in the air. Mm-hmm. And probably when it bounced, when I'm coming down, it kleptoed me in the head. Sure. Yeah. 
At the same time, I'm going to guess it klepto me in the chest with the seat. And I broke my collarbone that way. Okay. That's why I didn't have a shoulder injury. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Didn't have a shoulder injury. Mm -hmm. So it crushed my chest so bad from clobbering that friggin' seat. And that was the only thing wrong with that three with it. Jeez. So Jody picked it up, fixed the gas tank, and uh, you'd never know it was crashed. Oh, my gosh. So well, then Jody says, you still want to tune this thing? I says, absolutely. You want me to bring it back? I says, no, I'll come out to your place because he's only an hour away. Yeah, yep. I get out there and his wife is yelling, what are you doing here? I said, I'm going to come ride that three-wheeler. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Debbie. I said, yes, I am. Uh, you had unfinished business. Helmet. I said, yeah, my wife made me bring a helmet. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. You had unfinished business with that thing. Well, that's a crazy story. I've never really known the details. I knew you were test riding something. Uh knew something crazy happened, but didn't know. Oh, I was, I was, I'm like, these people are, I had, you know, I had a whole bunch of flat track. I had a bunch of motors apart. These people are going to kill me. I'm going to get fired. <sighs> and of course that all got solved because people were so bummed out that I was hurt. So. Oh my gosh. I remember it being such a dire time. I was so scared. I mean, cause you know, we've considered you a family friend for 20 years. Right. You know? So, I mean, to yeah. think, to think that that happened and just, I mean, we all know, we know the stories so anyway, of you test stuff. I mean, so yeah, yeah. So then yeah, Binky bought Binky, Binky bought me, you know, I, I kept that DRZ until 2018 yeah. mm -hmm. and we were always going to let somebody ride it and run the pro-am class or something with it. Yeah. Uh, I was going to let Graham do it, but I told him, I said, you got to buy your own plastic. Sure. I don't care about the motor. I can, but you can't be damaged in my plastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, now that thing is in its rightful home, right? And in, in Binky's museum, what a couldn't have asked for a better spot for that thing to oh, be. Oh, it's a, it's a that three that three fifty X is gorgeous. Yeah. Doug Gust's bike is still gorgeous. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. We got it prepared to go and finish the season in two thousand three. All the bikes. Uh, New plastic on a brand new LTZ, and of course, brand new plastic or bumpers and nerf bars on the DRZ. Mm -hmm. And um, so, um, so that yeah, thing's perfect. That yeah. thing's perfect. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Well, um, I'm just so grateful that you're able to be here and spend this time with <laughs> me and and do all this stuff. I, I can't thank you enough for your time. I mean, this is. Uh, this has been so much fun. This has been as much fun as I've had in a long time here on the show. You need, you need, to, shave, you need to shave, Cody. You're getting too much of a beard. <laughs> uh, well, like I said at the beginning, you remember me as a little guy. So it's been a little, yes. little time since then. But, man, I could I could listen and uh, I could sit here and listen to these stories for hours and hours. So, um, again, I got to thank Marty again for, for making this happen, all the behind-the-scenes work. I can't thank you enough for that, Marty. And, um, and Tom, man, you're an absolute legend. This has been the honor of my life to sit here with you and chat with you, my friend. I can't wait to share this episode with all of our, with all of our listeners. I'm so very thankful. Crazy, crazy stuff. You know, I'm just, I'm just a normal guy. I wears jeans and puts his pants on the same as anybody else. <laughs> everybody wants to hear what you have to say, Tom. So I'm excited to, excited to share that with everybody. And again, I'm so thankful for, for you and your time, buddy. Well, man. I still have a hard line. I'm still on a phone book. You call information, you can find me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, if you want to, you can share your phone number right now for how, how people can get a hold of you. Uh, What's the shop number? I don't even have it. I don't even know it. 814. 
Okay. Seven, two, three, three, five, one, four. Perfect. Perfect. Got an answering service on it. So you can leave me a message. I'll call you back. I love it. You're going to get some calls because we had a lot of people asking if you were still wrenching on stuff today. And Marty, I'm going to ask you if you could take your, your cell phone and shoot me some of the pictures of some of the stuff that Tom was showing us so I can post it on our social stuff. Yeah. On his magazine he had. If you could do yeah. that. Yeah. That would, yeah, I could do that. That would help me a ton. What, this thing. Yeah, if you could any any of the well, stuff you any of the stuff you held up. I'm, I'm trying to get this off him, but he said it's the last one in existence. And I said, <laughs> Well, why don't you leave it here with me? I'll hold on to it for you. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's the gold. There's there's Travis Motor right there. See, we gotta we gotta have the pictures of some of this stuff yeah, for sure. I'll so, get them sent I, I, I have yeah. the original. Yeah, that's the dual carb. Oh, that's amazing. That's uh that's me. That's me in Canada. I gotta ride the bike back around the track. After Dale Singleton won. Sure. Yeah. Wow. That is incredible. Oh, and then that's me and my two fifty. That's my two hundred exit Ashtabula coming out of the bowl. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. That stuff is that's history right there. That would that would be Travis. Okay. Yeah. yeah I need this to... is uh, this is the ATV Insider magazine. Mm-hmm. I remember those like it was yesterday. Those are the best. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, if you can shoot me some of those pictures, cause then they'll be uh, nice and clear for us to post. That'd be great. Yeah. No problem. Awesome. Well, let's uh, Tom again and Marty, thanks so much for your time. Let's plan to do this again sometime. This can't be, can't be the last yeah, time. I'd, I'd shake your hand if you were right there. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Well, I know uh, there were some of those uh, DRZ haters out there on the post and I, I challenge them. If there's a pro this year at Pine Lake that wants to ride it and we'll put them on and you can't tell me that thing won't keep up with any of these new quads because it will. Hey, you said that earlier, and I, I thought to myself, yeah. somebody's somebody's going to reach out. So um, I hope somebody challenges it and wants to ride it. Um, yeah, you know these guys. Yeah. A lot of these corners on these tracks are 180 degrees slow mm -hmm. things, you know, and they're dusty and ruddy. Yeah, they're not going to be 11,000 RPM anywhere. Right. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that that yeah, torque so. that torque monster behind you is ready to rip. Yep. Oh yeah, absolutely. So that that's awesome. Well, thanks so much guys. Uh, Tom, you're the best. And like I said, let's do this. Uh, let's plan on doing this again sometime soon. Maybe, maybe around Astabula when somebody else you know, he, that thing. Tom comes to Pine Lake. That's about all we get him to. So, I mean, you I'm, should come down. I'm going to, I'm going to have to make a trip. Yeah. I'm going to have yeah. to make a trip. All right, Cody. Awesome. Say, guys. Say, say hello to your dad. I will. I will. Thanks so much guys. That's legendary engine builder. And engine builder of the stars, TC Racing Engines, Tom Carlson, right here on the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast, brought to you by CST Tires, CST Tires, Pulse MXR Tires, and more are available at shop.csttires.com today. Thanks so much, Tom. Marty, thanks so much, guys. Yep. We'll see you soon. Have All a good right. one. Thanks, guys. Yep. Yeah. Man, I don't know about you, but I wasn't ready for Tom to be done. Tom actually called me the day after this conversation, and we chatted for another hour and a half, and the stories were flowing once again. I told him to save them for the podcast, so my hope is in the wake of this amazing episode, he jots down a couple notes in a little notebook that he's got there, and we can do this all again in the near future. Give me all the Tom Carlson I can get. Major thanks to tonight's guest, Mr. Tom Carlson, the legend himself from TC Racing Engines. Thanks to producer Dallas Jansen, my brother 
for all his hard work. Thanks to Brooke and AMA official Harv Whipple. Thanks to all of our donors. You know who you are. We appreciate you so much. And thanks to all of our partners, CST Tires. Go to shop.csttires.com today. Yamaha, thanks to Blue Crew. Thanks to SSI decals, DID Racing Chain, Namira Technologies, Bronco ATV and UTV Components, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply, the financial advice of the Haymower Financial Group, DP Brakes, Factory 43, Binky's Forever ATC Museum, a special shout out to Impact Solutions and Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. Support all the brands that support our show and don't forget to use those codes to save. You can find it all on our website and be sure to click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner for all your gear and parts needs and to help us out. And most of all, thanks to you guys for listening. Signups for ATV Fantasy are open, so head over to ATVFantasy.com today. And also, you can check out our fresh batch of merch just launched at shop.diggingdeepatvmx.com. If you're looking for another easy way to help support us, visit our website and click the Patreon or Buy Me a Coffee buttons. This allows you to set up a one-time or monthly contribution to support our efforts. As always, you can give us a call using our voicemail line, 920-569-3519. That number is 920-569-3519. Follow the show on social media, Digging Deep ATVMX Podcast, and myself, Cody Jansen, for additional content, coverage, and more fun stuff as the season wraps approaches. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Wherever you find podcasts, you'll find the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast. All episodes, additional podcast providers, sponsor links, and discount codes, show merchandise, fantasy info, and more can all be found on our website, diggingdeepatvmx.com, so check that out today. Be a friend, tell a friend, please download, subscribe, rate, review, and share. And with that, For Tom Carlson, Brooke Jansen, Dallas Jansen, and I'm your host, Cody Jansen, thanks for listening to and making us the most listened to podcast in ATV Racing. With over 199,000 downloads last month in 101 total countries, until next time, thanks for joining us in digging deep with the stars of ATV Motocross. See you next week as five-time Euro champ Kevin Saar and his new team owner, Brett Musig, of the Music Racing and Repair team, join the Digging Deep ATV MX podcast. Things are crashing and burning here at the Digging Deep Podcast, much like the Titanic. Those guys were hauling ass, for real. I remember watching Doug Gus, I don't know who it was, Steel City, running the same times Friday afternoon as James Stewart was on Sunday back then. It was mental. I've never seen quads go that fast. Quadlers are freaking gnarly.